So glad to have all of you that are not at the beach here with us. Amen. I was uh, I was talking with one of the elders yesterday. And I said, if you go by Facebook, there's nobody going to be at church tomorrow. Everybody's at the beach, looks like to me, according to Facebook. But we're glad you're here today. Uh, appreciate you being here. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and 12, and then I'm going to read Romans 10 and 10. Today we're just entitling this Healthy Confession. Uh, I've mentioned about confession, what it means, but I don't think I've ever actually devoted a whole uh, sermon or lesson on it. Uh, confession is one of those words that is extremely misunderstood by the church today. It's kind of like the word repentance. Uh, what does repentance mean, church? Think, change your mind, change the way you think, think differently. To the average church Christian, uh, repentance means to tell God you're sorry for doing wrong, right? But that's not what it means in the Bible. And uh, uh, the word confession is kind of like that. It's misunderstood. It's kind of been mangled up through the machinery of uh, man-made religion. And uh, instead of bringing freedom that God designed confession to do, uh, most people see confession as the cost of admission to the house of grace. It's a toll that you have to pay to be able to receive God's grace. How many heard the phrase, confession is good for the soul? And I will agree with that on one condition, that confession that is done is done right, biblically. Um, and so here in 1 Timothy 6 and 12, Paul's writing, and in the preceding verses, um, I don't know if y'all could quickly throw up verse 11. I didn't give that one to you. I don't know if that's something you can do on the fly. Um, but he's in those preceding verses, he's talking about uh, sin, and particularly sin of, uh, of um, financially, uh, greed and things like that. But I want you to notice this. It, I was thinking about this a while ago, but he says, but you, O man of God, the Bible never calls you a sinner once you're born again. Now, in the church, they'll tell you you're still a sinner. You're just a saved sinner, right? How many heard that? Well, I'm just a sinner saved. By That's not what the Bible says. That's not the identity God gives you. So here Paul is talking, and he's been talking about sin and temptations and things that people deal with. But then he says, but you, old man of God, so that you are a man of God. You're a woman of God. That's your identity. So Paul calls them to that, and then he said, flee these things. He talked about the preceding things he talked about, those sins. And then he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Now, he's not telling you to pursue that so you'll obtain it. He's telling you to pursue that because that's what you are. And we know the Bible clearly teaches in the New Testament, once you're born again, righteousness is a gift that was given to you when you were born again. Holiness the same way. Now, those other things that he mentions there, faith, love, patience, and gentleness, those are all fruits of the Spirit, right? And do you have the Holy Spirit in you when you're born again? Those things are in you. The, all those things are in you because it's not the fruit of your labors. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then the next verse says, fight the good fight of faith. Now, he's calling them to tell you, he tells you how to war against these things. And he says, you fight the good fight of faith. What kind of fight is it? You don't ever brag about a fight you lost. But if you walk away and say, man, it was a good fight, that means you won, right? And the faith here is not your struggle. It's God has given you the gift of faith. He's, to every man, the Bible says, God has given the measure of faith. He says, now fight the good fight of faith. And then lay hold of eternal life because you got that when you got born again. In other words, to which you are also called. And then what, what he says, has confessed the good Confession. So there's good confession and there's not good confession uh, in the presence of many witnesses. Now, in Romans 10 and 10, this is the whole chapter. We've talked about it a lot here. Chapter 10 is the New Testament way to be born again. Uh, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, he, he, he says, with the heart one believes. Where do you believe from? From your heart, not your head. For with the heart one believes unto what? See, getting born again is about receiving that gift of righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. 
And everybody agrees, no matter what denomination is, that Romans 10 is to tells you how to be born again. Now, let me tell you what they just seem to overlook. You can be seated. You've been standing a few minutes. <clears throat> but listen, what they overlook is the word sin does not appear in Romans chapter 10. Yet this is the chapter that tells you how to be saved. Now, you go to the average Christian and you say, or church or whatever, and you say, I want to be saved. And I've told you this over and over, but there are people here that hadn't heard this probably. And so if you ask them, you go to average church and they, you say, I want to be saved, this is what they're going to tell you. Bow your head, close your eyes, say the sinner's prayer, which, by the way, none of that is in the Bible, just in case you're interested in what's in the Bible. None of that's in the Bible. There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. There's many prayers prayed by sinners. You understand? But to get saved, the Bible doesn't mention sin to them. Isn't that interesting? In Acts chapter 16, when the Roman jailer that had Paul and Silas and many others incarcerated, and they began to praise God at midnight, remember that story? And God opens up, there's just a mighty earthquake, and the prison chains all fall off, and the doors open. And that jailer is so moved by the display of power of God and he actually was about to commit suicide right because he knew the the prisoners if they escaped then the, the king was going to kill him so he was going and he, he he'd probably kill him slowly you know what I mean so he's going to go ahead and take care of it and he pulls his sword and Paul says don't do yourself any harm we're still here nobody's running nobody's escaping he saw the power of God and he says what must I do to be saved Notice Paul didn't say, bow your head, close your eyes, confess your sins. Because you don't have to confess your sins to be saved. Amen. Number one, your memory's not that good. You have sinned well and remember little. You can't confess all your sins. And if your confession is the contingency for your salvation, you're doomed. If you have to confess each and every sin you've ever committed in order to be saved... Because in order to be saved, you must be forgiven. Then you're not going to make it. I'm, I know I'm saying some things that a lot of you know. Some of you looking at me like, as to say, in the country, a calf at a new gate. Why did he put a gate here? What's this about? You're talking to God and, and recounting your sins is not why God forgives you. I wonder why in Romans 10, if it tells you how to get saved, why don't God mention sin? Because it has nothing to do with you getting saved. Why don't it have anything to do with me getting saved? Because Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. So either he took it away or he didn't. And if he took it away, he took it away on the cross when he shed his blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's what the Bible says. So when Jesus died on the cross, when was that? Approximately 2,000 years ago. How many of your sins were future then? All of them because you weren't born yet. But he forgave you and you weren't even here. God don't need your confession nor your permission to forgive you. You're forgiven. Why? Because God says you are. God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, last verse, he said, For God was in Christ. He was reconciling the sin of the world to himself. In other words, God said, I'll take care of this. Not, not laying men's trespasses against them, not, not keeping a record or an account of their trespasses. So there's good confession, there's not so good confession. And if you get this messed up, I mean, it's going to really cause you not to be able to, to receive the power that grace gives us. Um, the good confession, I, I like to say, because it really, literally in the Greek, it kind of, it means healthy. So I'm just calling this healthy confession versus unhealthy confession. Now, most of you have heard me say this. The word translated confession in, the, in, in your Bible, in the King James, New King James, whatever, the word confession there is a Greek word. Now, in the Webster's Dictionary, if you look up confession, it's going to be mean to acknowledge guilt, to acknowledge the commission of a crime. That's what the, 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 you know, the, those dictionaries are going to say that it means. But in the Bible, 
the word confession, they translate in English confession, is a Greek word, homeologos. That's the word, okay? Uh, it, homo means the same kind. So a homosexual is two people of the same kind. I'm going slow for a reason. The word logos is the word of God. It means the word of God. So you put those together, homo logos, it means to say the same thing that God says about his word. In other words, the word means to agree with God, to agree with the word of God, and to confess the word of God. So you use your mouth to say what God says about you, your circumstances, your situation. You come in agreement with God. It's called faith. You agree with God. Even though your circumstances and surroundings don't agree with God, and it don't agree with the Word of God, but you agree with the Word of God, thereby you can, through faith, have those circumstances to line up with the Word of God. Am I making any sense? This is the key to a lot of people receiving their healing, physical healing. God is a healer. Many ways that God does it. We, we lay hands on the sick. They recover. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says in James 5, that you, if any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil. Now, if you don't go to church, you don't have elders. So I don't know who you're going to call. Ghostbusters, I guess. I don't know who you're going to call. But if you go to church and you're committed there and you're in a relationship, you have elders. Those elders know you. You know them. There's a plurality of leadership there. That's not the only way God heals, but that's in James 5, uh, in beginning around verse 14. And, and, and it says, let the elders anoint them with oil. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and, and their sin will not be an issue. If they've committed sin, it shall be forgiven. Why? Because they've already been forgiven. And the, elder, the elders are there to help you understand that your, your sin that you did is not the reason you're still sick. So stop exalting your sin and embracing your sickness and saying God can't heal you because of what you did. Because your healing physically does not come contingent upon your behavior. There's a lot of people that struggle with physical sickness and diseases and things and they think they deserve it because of the life they lived or the sin that they've committed. And they did commit those sins, but you've been forgiven of them. See, that's why when Jesus was preaching one time in the New Testament that, that, that there was a sick guy that was paralyzed. That's pretty sick, right? He's paralyzed and he's lying on a cot, but his friends says, man, we're going to take you to Jesus. Thank God for friends, right? So these brothers say, we're going to carry you to Jesus. And they get there and they can't get in the house because the crowd is too big. So they get a ladder and they tote this dude up on the roof of this. And the, and the biblical roof, for the most part, they're all flat. And they get up on this roof and they tear a hole in the roof. you got to go six before to lower a gurney through the roof. It's not a small peephole. Feel sorry for the guy whose house he was preaching in. Because now he's got to call a roofer when this sermon's over. Right? So they tear a hole in the, they rip the roof off. This is really, this is in the Bible, y'all. And they lower this guy with ropes down to Jesus. Now, when you start getting, you know, particles falling on you while you're preaching, it kind of messes your sermon up. So, and it says Jesus was preaching. A lot of times it says he was teaching. And there it says he was preaching. He did both. And, and, and so they lower this sick guy there. This guy doesn't say boo. He didn't say anything. And they, Jesus looks at him and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Anybody besides me know that's in the Bible? Now here's a guy that just received forgiveness or the news of forgiveness, and he didn't even say nothing. So apparently you don't have to confess to be forgiven because he didn't say boo, and Jesus said you're forgiven. I wonder why that is. 
Now, why did they bring the guy to Jesus? For forgiveness or what? Or healing? Come on, what, come on, y'all play with me. Work with me. Why did they bring the guy to Jesus? To get physical healing. Jesus ain't talking about his physical. Can't Jesus see the guy's paralyzed? Sure he can. Jesus, Jesus addresses the root problem. Your sins that you think really is what it is that are keeping you on that cot, whatever they were, he said, I'm going to tell you something, man. Your sins are forgiven because I'm here. Now, the religious crowd that was all watching all that, it says that they were offended by that, just like they're offended by what I'm preaching right now. And I'm good at that. I'm good at offending and drawing out religious devils. They were offended and they said within their heart, who can forgive sins but God only? See, they failed to miss the point that that was God, Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. God was there. They missed that little tidbit. Who can forgive sins except God only? And, and so Jesus perceived their thoughts and he says to them, which is easier? I'll ask y'all a question, which is easier? For me to say to this sick of the palsy, arise and take up your bed and walk, or, or your sins are forgiven. He said, so that, that you understand that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins on earth. He says, take up your bed, arise and walk. See, the key to that guy to being able to get off that cot and stop being paralyzed was the acknowledgement, you know what? He's not a liar, I'm forgiven, no matter what I did. And you stop holding on or the enemy stops using that to bring all that guilt, condemnation that you embrace instead of Jesus. And then he got up. Woman caught in adultery never said nothing about her sin. She didn't confess her sin, didn't say, I'm sorry, I won't do it no more. I'll try to be a better girl. None of that. He said, where'd you condemn her at? She said, I don't have any. He said, I don't condemn you either. He didn't say go and sin no more, but only after he imparted to her the grace, the free gift of no condemnation. No condemnation here. Now go and walk in the power of that grace. Because it's the grace of God that gives you the power to say no to sin and ungodliness. Right? And, and so, so you, you, you got to get that part down. Because the reason I'm having to spend time on that is because when you hear the word confession to the average Christian, the first thing that pops in their mind is sin. I have to confess my sins. And, and, and I don't have time just to go through the whole deal again, but there's only one, one verse. Anybody that tries to convince you that what I'm teaching is wrong, they're going to trot out 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, where it says that you are, to, you know, that if, that if you confess your sins, sins he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you of all your unrighteousness and and that's the only verse that even remotely alludes to the fact that confession is linked to forgiveness but in this proper context in that chapter John is writing to uh, Gnostics who did not even believe that sin existed in other words he's saying to them they, they, they didn't even believe that sin's not an issue, it's not a problem, that it doesn't even exist. And by the way, the word sin there in that verse, 1 John 1 9, is not a verb. And I, I can't overstress to you how important it is for you to get that. A noun is a person, place, or thing, right? Average Christian thinks sin is something I did, a verb, an action. Y'all just tell me if I say anything is true this morning. Most Christians, you say sin, they think action I, I sinned I did something I did an action it was sin I'm sorry only one time in the whole book of Romans is the word sin a verb every other time that you see it it's a noun when the Bible says him who knew no sin became sin it's not a verb in either case it's a noun it's an entity Thanks, Phil. Love you, brother. It's the truth. And it's extremely important that you understand what sin is. And so there's a distinction that we have to draw between healthy confession and unhealthy confession. I'm going to quickly give you ten of them. 
okay? Number one, unhealthy confession is admission of my badness. But healthy confession is focused like they sung this morning on God's goodness. Number two, unhealthy confession leaves me focused on my needs, my weaknesses, my shortcomings. But healthy confession connects me, and it still acknowledges that I have needs because grace is only for needy people. But it connects my needs with God's grace, with God's strength, and God's limitless provision. Now, most of you have read this book. You know this Bible teaches this one thing. This, this principle is, is throughout the Scripture. It actually says verbatim in the Bible, let the weak say I am, there you go, strong. Okay, now why would the weak need to say they're strong? Aren't they lying? I mean, if they're weak and then they're turning around saying I am strong, I mean, what's that about? But the Bible says, let the weak say out their mouth, let them say, confess. Let the weak say I am strong. You don't look strong, you're not strong, and you don't feel strong. But the Bible says that you're supposed to say you're strong. Now, is the Bible encouraging, encouraging lying? No. What's it doing? Trying to get you to do healthy confession. What's healthy confession? Agreeing with God. Because the Bible says, when I am weak, I am strong. Why? Because God is strong. And I might be weak in the flesh, but God lives in me and I'm strong because God lives in me. So it carries this principle and this thread is interwoven through Scripture. So let the sick say, I am. There you go. Let the sick say, I am healed. See, that's where some of the church get, say, well, you know, that, that's that name it, claim it, and nab it and grab it or whatever that deal is. No, no, it's just healthy confessing. and It's coming into agreement with what God says about you. So, yeah, you're physically sick. Uh, you got stuff running out your nose. Okay, you're coughing. You got a fit. Whatever your deal is, yeah, you're sick. And medically, you can go be, yeah, you're sick. And you're not denying that you're not sick. In fact, the reason you're confessing that I'm well is because you are sick. And this is something that's trying to rob you of health, which is normal, and it is not normal to be sick. It is abnormal to be sick. That's why it's called dis-ease. You're supposed to be at ease. But something comes and disses your ease. <laughs> and it's called disease. Y'all help me. It's a disease. And so it's not normal to be diseased. So you, you got something coming against you. You have to bring yourself back into alignment and say, Father, I confess that even though my body's exhibiting all this sickness, I confess that I'm healed. By your stripes, I am healed. By your stripes, I'm healed. And it's not some incantation. It's not some rabbit's foot. It's not something you quote. It's not some religious, you know, Father, forgive me. for No, no, no. It's, it's, it's coming in agreement. It's putting your faith in agreement with what God says in spite of your circumstances. Is this good or not? So un, unhealthy confession, number three, puts the focus on me and what I have or have not done. But healthy confession puts the focus on Jesus and what he has done for me. Big difference. Number four, unhealthy confession, it doesn't require any faith. No faith at all. Uh, and if it doesn't require any faith, then therefore it does not please God because without faith it is impossible to please the Lord. But healthy confession is actually an expression of my faith. It's actually coming into agreement with what God says. And listen to this. Healthy confession actually stirs up my faith. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Even if you're the one doing the talking. It, it, so it will stir up your own faith if your own mouth will just say what God says about it. Let the sick say, I am. I'm whole. I'm healed. Let the, let, let, let the poor say, I am rich. Let the weak say, I am. And when you are a Christian and you sin, let the sinner say, I am. See, the church teaches you to waller in that sin and confess your sin. But if you keep the principle and the thread intact through Scripture, then if you are born again, you are righteous, correct? And your righteousness was a gift, not contingent on what you do. 
we'll talk about this another time. When, but this is the reality. Okay, Adam was created perfect, likeness of God, image of God. He's in paradise. Great deal, right? But he sins. He rebels against God. Uh, when he does that, he immediately becomes a sinner. Now, Adam is the only dude that ever become a sinner because he sinned. And you know if I ask you, how many sins does it take for you to commit for you to be a sinner, how many would you say that you have to commit to be in order to be a sinner? Y'all are so good. Receive a hug for that one. Now, I can go in any other church and ask that question. You know what they're going to tell me? One. In other words, they have to commit one sin, and if they commit one sin, then therefore they are now a sinner. Why? Because they sin. That's not true. You are not a sinner. You were born a sinner. We were all born sinners. That little baby that's so cute, that's a sinner. Just let them grow a little bit. And watch the sin manifest without them being taught to sin. They're going to they're scratch in somebody and say, mine, and hit another kid, and it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. You know what I'm saying? They're going to they manifest that they're a sinner. They are a little sinner. Because they were born that way. And what do sinners do? Sin. They sin. The Bible says in Romans 5, for by one man's disobedience, one man's disobedience, many were made born sinners, comma. But by one man's obedience, and it changes the little m to a capital M, that man, there's Jesus, that man, by his obedience, many became, will become righteous. When will they become righteous? When they accept him. Okay, now if you can receive this, and most Christians agree with this, when you are a sinner, there is no benevolent act, no act of goodness nor kindness that you can do that will turn you in to a saint. No amount or multitude of good deeds will change the fact that you are a sinner and you're spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. It doesn't matter. So you can't do good acts enough to save yourself, right? You agree with that, don't you? And the Bible says that you're a sinner not because you've ever sinned. If you're born a sinner, you were a sinner when you got here. In other words, you received the gift of a sinner from Adam. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all live. So you were born a sinner. So your sinfulness was a gift to you. You're welcome. You didn't have to do anything. It was just a free gift. You know why you got it? Because you were born. You're welcome. Now, how, how many right now would be kind of thinking, that's not fair. That doesn't seem right. Why am I guilty of sin and I didn't do the sin? Because you were in Adam. You were in the seed of Adam. If you can believe that, that you were born a sinner and it was gifted to you, bad as that gift is. And, and, and that deal was so bad on you and me that God couldn't put a paint job on it and make it better. And the only remedy for that Death is for sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Listen, so God didn't make you better. God killed you. When did he kill you? On the cross. Jesus didn't only die for you, he died as you, and you died with Christ. You, you were crucified with Christ. This is what Romans teaches us. Are you with me? And so your only hope was to die and be born again. For you must be born again. And if you're born again, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. This never existed before. Are y'all getting any of this? And so listen to what happens. Jesus is called the last Adam. 
So since man gave the authority and everything to the devil, man had to be the one to take it back. So God had to come here as a man. And God came here as the last Adam. Not the second one. Because if there's a second, it might be a third, fourth, fifth. No, no, no. No, just the first Adam, last Adam. Jesus is called the last Adam. And so that Adam come to undo what the first Adam got us into. Right? And so when you're born again, you're born not in that Adam. You're extricated out of him. And you're born and you're placed in Christ, if any man be in Christ. And you are of the last Adam. Guess what happens to you when you go born of the last Adam? See, if you're born of the first Adam, you're born a sinner. But if you're born of the last Adam, you're born righteous. Just like when you're a sinner, no amount of good deeds will ever make you righteous. If you go amen to that, then you, the purpose of that is for you to understand that once you're born again and you're born righteous, no amount of sin that you do will make you unrighteous. Now that right there is some good news right there. The church readily will agree with the first part of that statement, but they struggle with the second part. They struggle with it, and many don't even believe it. And therefore, if you don't believe it, then you nullify the Word of God. You make it of no effect in your life. Unfelt, unhealthy confession, number fifth, five one, is uh, based on the hope that I can convince God to do something that's going to improve my situation. That's what, that's what unhealthy confession. Healthy confession is based on the good news that God's already done everything we need, for, the Bible says, for life and godliness, and that's been gifted to us. 2 Peter 1 and 3. Number six, unhealthy confession is begging God to forgive me. Healthy confession is only possible when you realize God's already forgiven you. I want to tell you, most of the church still sees forgiveness as something you can receive, but forgiveness is something God has done, not something he will do. That's the difference between a grace message and a non-grace message. Um... Number seven, unhealthy confession is begging God to bless me. Oh, God bless me. Oh, would you bless Unhealthy confession is thanking God that the Bible says you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1, 3. You already got it. So what do you do when you, in your prayer time? Well, it does shorten your prayer time up by a good deal because you're not asking for what you already got. You just say, thank you, Father, that I'm blessed. And you go to work knowing you're blessed instead of going to work driving, begging God to bless you when you get there. It's just a big difference. Number eight, unhealthy confession is motivated by this false perceived need to get your relationship right with God after you've sinned. Unhealthy confession, a healthy confession is only possible when you know that God's not a liar and he promised you he would never leave you and he'd never forsake you no matter what you do. So there ain't no getting it right again. God's already got it right. Number nine, unhealthy confession always immediately follows sin. So in other words, this is how you know you're dealing with unhealthy confession. You sin, you go to confessing. Actually, healthy confession will often preempt sin. It will preempt it you, 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 because you acknowledge and you're honest that you got weaknesses. And, and, and what that does is that positions you to receive God's grace. That the Bible, I've already quoted, that the Bible, it's the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches you how to say no. It is the power to say no. Number 10, unhealthy confession is agreeing with the devil, the accuser. You agree with him by unhealthy confession because you say, I'm still a miserable sinner. Look what I did. Healthy confession is agreeing with the Holy Spirit. It's not agreeing with the accuser. It's agreeing with the Holy Spirit. And it's saying that I'm still a saint no matter what I did. I said a saint. You need to say that again. I can tell some of you we need to break dice on it. Just say out loud, I am a saint. Say that again. You, some of you have never said that. Say, I am a saint. Next time you meet somebody you've never met them before and they say, what's your name? Say, I am a saint. Watch their face. That's not just for statues in front of Catholic churches. I am a saint. And I told you, if you're not a saint, stop reading the Bible, particularly the New Testament. Isn't that weird? Preacher telling you to stop reading the Bible. Well, it's not nice to read other people's mail. All the epistles in the Bible are written to the saints. 
So if you're not a saint, don't be reading other people's mail. You'll find no letters in the Bible from Paul addressed to all you sinners at Ephesus. To all you sinners at Thessalonica. To all you saved sinners at Galatia. There's no letters like that. All the letters in the Bible begin to the saints at Galatia, to the saints at Thessalonica, to the saints. The saints. It's all through there. It's just saints, 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 saints. Why does the Bible call you a saint? Because that's what you are. And what did I grow up hearing in church? Well, brother, I ain't trying to be no saint or nothing. But you know. Well, how about trying to be that? Because that's what you are. Maybe you'd live better if you'd actually try to be what you really are and quit being a hypocrite and quit being a saint, living like and acting like a sinner. You're not that old guy anymore. Stop behaving like it. Stop talking like it. And stop, stop doing that, man. Act like what you really are and you're righteous. So start being righteous because you are righteous. Man, in this life, you know what? It's going to be a shocker to you here. I know it's going to be deep, but you're going to screw up big time. <laughs> all of you and you have your back track record to prove it you're, you're going to mess up man you're just going to mess up and you're going to do some really big messes sometimes that you cannot clean up confessing to be forgiven or otherwise confessing to somehow manage your sin you know what that's like? It's like trying to clean your house with a filthy mop. You're going to be extremely busy, but you're not going to accomplish a lot at all. In fact, you're going to make things worse. Because your busyness will lend itself to self-righteousness and unbelief. And, 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 and the house is not going to be cleaner when you're done. You, you getting that? True confession is, is simply acknowledging my total dependence on God's grace. His grace for what? Grace for everything. Grace for salvation. Grace for sanctification. Grace for every, everything I need in my life. It's God's grace. True confession is, 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 is putting words to my faith and putting faith in my words because I'm agreeing with God's word. True confession is relying on the one who cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Bad confession, that's what religion teaches you. And, and it, it seems right to a man now, to, to a religious mind. It seems like the, that's the way you do it, man. But it leads to death. It, 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 but, but God's way, confession, leads to, to life and godliness. That's what the Bible says. Now, if you know me really, you, and you hear me beat this drum a lot around here, which I've done today. You will know that nothing kind of, you know, uh, winds me up faster than telling people that they must do this, this, and this in order to be forgiven. Uh, confessing your sin does not compel God to forgive you. And, and I, I guess that's one of the biggest things because it's, it's one of the biggest obstacles to people really embracing the message of God's grace. Uh, God doesn't forgive us on account of our confession, but in accordance, the Bible says, to his riches and of his grace is why he forgives us. It's like you got all these Christians, and you've heard me say this before, they all these Christians praying, you know, well, I just want to be close to the Lord, Brother Dale. I'm just trying to get closer to God. How many's heard all that kind of statement? I'm just want to be, or hey, hey, get that guy to pray for you, man, because you got this problem going on right now, and it's pretty serious. You need to go get this guy or this sister. Or this, you need to get them to pray for you because they are close to God. You ever heard that one? Y'all, yeah, yeah, y'all, let me know. They're close to God. They're close to God. Lord, I just feel like I'm a million miles from. What'd you just say? You feel like. You're not saved by feeling. Saved by faith. By grace through faith, not by feeling. Do you know some days I actually go to bed and wake up feel lost as a goose? I know y'all wake up speaking in tongues every morning, jerking, you know, glory to God, it's a new day. Shikamo Shundai, Honda Honda Zuki, untie my bow tie, shoot a mosquito, shoot a mosquito. 
I believe in praying in tongues too, by the way. But <laughs> It don't matter how I feel when I wake up. I'm born again. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I, it, it doesn't matter. And I want to tell you, the biggest hurdle raised under law like I was for me transitioning over to the truth of God's grace for me because I would sin, believe it or not, not intentionally. You know, sometimes I intentionally sin, you know, but sometimes, sometimes I would just blow it big time. And to me, it was like a, a whopper. You know what I mean? And so I would just get on my face and I would confess that to God. I would call it repenting. And I would tell God how sorry I was I did that and what a pitiful excuse for a human I am. And I don't even know why you saved me. And I'd go through the whole litany of, you know, groveling. And, and then I would ask God to forgive me and beg him to. And then I'd turn right around and ask him to forgive me again. And I may spend hours doing that depending on the severity of my screw-up. Right? Is this okay? Or and then I, if it was really bad, I would talk to him about it the next day when I talked to him. God's going to tell you I'm so sorry. And I talked to him about it the third day and the fourth day. I may spend a week or two constantly talking to him about my sin and asking him to forgive me. And not really, to be honest, not really 100% sure he had. I didn't know if his forgiveness tank was kind of done with me at times. I just didn't know if he had any more fuel to pump into me on that deal. But as time would go along, and I would try to be a better boy, I would finally quit talking to him about it and just try to, in my heart, kind of halfway trust that he did forgive me because he said if I'd forgive, you know, and so I'd just go on my life. But it wasn't that, it wasn't that I felt like he had immediately forgiven me. Why is that that Christians would ask God over and over to forgive them of the same sin? You know, why would you ever ask God the second time to forgive you of something you asked him to forgive you for the first time? Because you didn't believe he forgave you the first time. That's why you asked him the second time. And that's why you talked to him about it a third time and a fifth time. Why didn't you ever feel forgiven? Because you didn't believe God's Bible in the start place. That you are forgiven. See, so God can't give you a feeling of forgiveness. He can only give you his word that you are forgiven. Now, Jesus can point at the guy on the stretcher that's got him paralyzed. And a lot of people's got their, your sins have got you, not physically paralyzed, but it's got you spiritually paralyzed. It's got you emotionally paralyzed. And Jesus can say, son, son, listen, daughter, whatever, your sins, your, they're yours, but they are, not will be, one day over yonder, they are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Your, your sins are right now forgiven you. Now, some people struggle with that, and, and they want to get all like, theological and go, well, Jesus hadn't even been to the cross yet, brother. It don't matter. He's there. And so my answer to that is, when my kids were little, every now and then I would go with my wife to the grocery store with them. Big mistake. Go to the grocery store, and, then, and them little three little kids are hungry, man, because there's food everywhere. And you got one riding in the little cubby hole, you know, the littlest one, and you got the other two. I remember I, my nerves be so shot one time. This I ain't making this up. Jill tell you it's true. One time I was holding like one of them, and I was like, you know, I was like holding Austin or something. I said, where's Austin? And she said, you're holding him. Because, <laughs> man, it's like, a, it's like a herd, like herding cats, man, trying to keep up three kids. I mean, anyway, it's like, God, why not? And so they're hungry, and they're just tearing up everything and loud. And just and there at times, we would just reach on the shelf, give them what they want to eat. My God. <laughs> and I'd just hand them whatever it was, to, whatever it was, and just let them eat it. Now, I hadn't paid for it yet, but I'm going to let them eat it because that's keeping them quiet and I can get through this process. So they're just chowing down. And nobody ever in the grocery store ever came up to me and got on to me for that. Nobody ever told me I'd committed a crime. Nobody said, hey, man, you ain't paid for that yet. Nobody ever did that, and they don't do that. You know why? Because when, when I start through that line, I'm going to hand them that empty bag of chips that's got that barcode on it. And they're going to scan it like it's full. And that machine ain't going to go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. There ain't no chips in this bag. <laughs> they don't care, man. Because they know before I leave, I'm going to pay for it. Yeah. 
So that's my answer. Jesus is in the grocery store. He's on the planet, and he's there present. And he's going to say, you healed because I'm here, and before I leave the earth, I'm going to pay for it at checkout. It's going to be the cross, and I'm going to pay for it before I leave here. So you can go ahead and enjoy it now. You can go ahead and experience it now. What do you do, listen, when, you're, when your experience does not line up with your identity? Now, your identity is that you are the righteous of God. Your present experience may be, I don't feel righteous. I, I, I didn't behave righteous. What, what, what do you do? That's why I told you, Ephesians says this. Oh, I saw, you know, and you got to stop this, man. you got to stop. Oh, I just want to be close to you, Lord. Oh, you're trying to get what you've already got. Ephesians teaches this so clearly. He says, for, you were once without hope in this world, away from God, outside the commonwealth of Israel, the covenants of God, the blessing of God. You were lost without hope in this world. That's what Paul said. In other words, he's painting you a picture. This is your condition. You was lost. You were without, you, you, you were without God. You weren't born again. That was your condition. But now, but now, you have been made nigh, King James. New King James brought near by the blood of Christ. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that brings you near to God. Now, if the blood brings you near, tell me what source brings you not near. And if you name your sin, are you going to tell me that your sin is more powerful than his blood? I didn't think so. So you, there is no, well, you know, that's God over there, and one Christian's here, and then another Christian, he's a little closer to God, and then this guy here, I mean, he gets all up on Jesus. There, there's none of that. It's like pregnant. You either is or you ain't. You're not like kind of pregnant, halfway pregnant, I'm a little pregnant. You're, 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 you're either saved or you're lost. You're either righteous or you're unrighteous. You're either near to God or you're away from God. And if you're born again, you're as close to God as you can get. I understand when you sing Christian songs and you get your praise on and you read your Bible and you say your prayers. I understand you feel closer, but you're not. You're not. So stop trying to get brownie points with God. I encourage you to read your Bible and to pray and to get your praise on. I encourage that because that's wonderful and you need to do that. But that doesn't bring you in proximity to God. You're, you're there. Where did God put you? In Christ. I told you to be like, okay, we're in the sanctuary of Grace Point Church. Are we in the sanctuary or not? How many believe you're in the sanctuary of Grace Point Church? How many of you want to spend some time down the altar here praying that you would be in the sanctuary of Grace Point Church? See how dumb that would be? You come for? Oh, what's your prayer? I just want to pray to be close to the sanctuary at Grace Point Church. I'm like, dude, you're in it. Well, I just don't feel like I'm in it. Well, I'm telling you, you're in it. you smack dab in it, brother. You are in the sanctuary at Grace Point Church. Don't waste no time praying to be closer to the sanctuary at Grace Point Church because you is in the sanctuary at Grace Point Church. See how stupid that is? I'm not saying you're stupid. It's a stupid act to pray to be close to God because you are close to God. But everybody, you go to the Internet right now and type on Google, and there'll be five ways to get closer to the Lord. There's teachers all out there like seven ways to get closer to God. These dudes are just making money and just, just crazy. Read your Bible if you're going to preach out of it. How about reading it? Get out of the religious stuff, man, and you're close to God. I don't feel close. Well, I can't help that, man. You is close to God. And you as close as anybody else. Stop trying to believe God's got grandkids, first kids, second class. They, they, there's no third class. There's no cargo section. There's no, none of that, man. You're, you're close to God. Live like it. Act like it. Talk like it. And, and your life's going to be different. Are you with me? So I'm ending with this. You're, you're you, okay, you sinned. This was a big hurdle for me. Maybe not for you. Because I was raised in the law deal, mixture of law and grace. You know, okay, you're saved by grace, but now you've got to keep yourself saved by law. No. Okay, so when I sinned, my habit was to, I told you, water in my sin, confess my sin, cry about my sin, beg God to forgive me my sin. When I transitioned and started seeing the grace of God, then 
you still blow it. <laughs> Just not as often. Because the power of sin is the law. You remove the law, you remove the power of sin. It doesn't, the law stirs up sin. So you want them law people, it's always been, you're fighting it all the time. So the grace of God, you don't, you don't mess up in years often, but you, you still blow it. You know, does anybody besides me blow it? I mean, y'all look at me like, well, bless his heart, he blows it. <laughs> and so this was the real hurdle for me the first time I started practicing what I'm preaching. When I had sinned and all that guilt and all that stuff starts piling on you, man, instead of watering in my sin in that moment, I remember the first time I started doing this, in that moment I would say, I'm the right, I, just, I, I didn't even talk about what I'd done. I just would say out of my mouth, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what I've done, I am the righteousness of God. I am still as righteous as you are righteous, Lord, Father. I confess that righteousness to you. I confess and I focus on the righteousness of God that's in Christ. Never did talk to him about my sin. You know what you'll do? You'll get up out of that. Now, if you're one of them people that's going to water on your sin, you're going to stay there, you're going to need six months of counseling, you're going to need all kinds of stuff. The Bible says a righteous man will fall seven times, but he'll get back up again. Why will a righteous man get back up? Because he knows he's righteous. If you don't know you're righteous, you won't get back up. You'll lay in there. You'll just lay that. You'll lay right there and waller, and you'll say, I got a demon. I need deliverance. And you can find people that'll do that to you. But if you're born again, you ain't got no demon, brother. God, don't, your heart is not a duplex. It ain't the devil on one side, Jesus on the other side. It's just not true. You can be getting harassed by demons, harassed, vexed, tormented, attacking you with lies, but you, you, you're not demon-possessed as a Christian. Brother Dale, can a, can a Christian have a demon? I, I, that's questions I've got. Can a Christian have a demon? I said, why would you want one? Why would you want one? You can have what you feel. No, you can't have it. You can know not if you mean the devil lives in your heart now. And No, you can't have that. Because the devil would have to kick Jesus out for him to move in. We done been through that. It's called the cross. <laughs> he made an open spectacle and shame of him. And he defeated every principality and power and ruler of darkness in, in the heavenly places. And that's the Jesus that lives in you. So no. All the devil has now to a Christian is lies. You, you believe his lies, you empower the liar. Don't believe his lies. I don't know how many Christians I tell that to all the time. Don't, don't believe his lies. You know what you're just saying? That's a lie. That's not true. So that's why if your name's Elijah and you believe you're the only one left, that's why you're in a cave, brother. That's why you've got depression going on. That's why you're trying to contemplate suicide. That's why your prayers are, oh, God, kill me now. Am I in the Bible? Elijah got depressed. He begged God to kill him. If he really wanted to die, all he had to do was go back to Jezebel because she promised she would kill him. But he ran from her. So if you want to die, go back to her. <laughs> she said 24 hours you'll be dead. Run on back there. That's what got him depression started. Because, you know, she said, mark this down. You're going to be a dead guy. And the Bible said he ran for his life. You know what it says? It said when he saw that. Your, your mind will play you a video of your funeral. See, Elijah already saw his death, and he ran from that woman. Now, he pulled his sword on Mount Carmel, killed by himself, Rambo-style, 400 prophets of Baal. Am I in the book or not? One dude killed 400 people. One dude. One dude killed. Rambo ain't had no day like that. He killed 400 people with his sword. That's what the Bible says. And now he's running from one woman. Because he's tired, he's depressed, and he believes a lie, her lie. He's in the cave, he's begging to die. He's, he, he, and, and you know what the root of all that was? I'm the only one left. Let me ask you this, church, and I've taught you this. Was that true or not? Was he the only one left? No. He was not the only one left. And before he went to Mount Carmel to pray down fire from heaven, he said that out of his mouth, I'm the only one left. That was arrogance. It was a lie. 
He was not the only one left. And so, but God is so patient. Listen, when you're going through depression and all that, God will never beat you up. God comes to you and he loves on you and he feeds you and he ministers to you. And so God comes to Elijah and he says, what you doing in the cave, bro? And he tells him, I'm the only one left. I know. And God says, take a nap, man. You just need some rest, brother. And, he, and I'm serious, y'all. And he, and he just lets him sleep. And then God comes back in and says, bro, what you doing in the cave, man? He said, God, I'm the only one left. I mean, this thing's bad. You don't know how bad I got. And then God said, here, you need something to eat and drink. And mind the book, he gives him something to eat and drink. And he says, take another nap. Naps is good. Take another nap. And then God comes to him a third time. Now he's got his strength up. He's got some word in him a little bit. He's got some water. You know, what you doing here, bro? I'm the only one left. And God says, no, you're ready now. I'm going to tell you something true. Uh, you're not the only one left. You, no, you're not. I got 7,000 that ain't even there one time bowed their knee to bail. I got 7,000 beside you. And he's like, man, my bad, God. I thought I was the only one left. And he, get, he immediately, his depression just immediately left him. He just got up. He, and God said, now, listen to me. This is what I need you to do. I need you to go find this dude named Elisha. And I need you to anoint him because he's going to carry on what you started. And I need you to find this brother named Jehu because that woman that threatened you, he's going to stomp her under his horse's hoofs. So I need you to commission that guy to get, get busy. And, you know, and, and God, he names three people. And he said, now, now God said, now get up and get on with your ministry. He's like, all right, God. Sorry, man, my bad. I thought I was the only one. No, you ain't the only one. You're not the only one going through what you're going through. You're not the only one that's been through what you've been through. You're not the only one. That's a lie that the devil plays on. You, nobody's gone. Yeah, they have. And they don't only did they go through it, they overcome it through him. And if, listen, and if one person made it with the hand you've been dealt, that takes away your excuse for not making it. That takes away your excuse for not making it. Amen? Stand with me. Do you receive this today? Would you give God praise if you receive the word? You want to do some confessing? Say, I'm the righteousness of God. That's confession. Say, I'm close to God by the blood of Jesus. That's proper confession. You sin, don't talk to him about sin. God, you don't have to tell God you sin. He, he, he knows you did. And he already made provision for it 2,000 years ago. But when you do it, don't wallow in it. It's okay. You, you Listen, he's a good daddy. You can talk to him about anything. And you can talk to him about your sin. And, and, I, and I still do. I mean, I, I just say, God, hey, man, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I, I just don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy right there that I just displayed. I don't want to be that guy because that's not a, that, I mean, I just don't want to do that. Uh, that. That doesn't look like a believer at all, what I just said or what I just did or, or just because I waved at him with one finger. Can you imagine doing that, you know, and you get mad and you wave at him with one finger and then you follow him to church? <laughs> Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Ooh, that'd be a bad day, wouldn't it? Hey, you don't never know who those people that you're just getting on. You don't know. You may have to see them again. <laughs> Amen. And I've said to God, God, I want to be that kind of guy. Help me, Lord. I want a good witness. God says make a good confession among many witnesses. Good confession. Sometimes my circumstances don't line up with what God says, but it's up to me to exhibit the faith that he's gift, gifted me with and just say what he says. You're sick, Brother Dale. Are you sick? Yeah, I am. But by his stripes, I'm healed. And I'm just going to keep saying that because it's true. Whether my body ever lines up with it or not, it's true. Amen? That's good confession. Can we just practice good confession around here? Your life's going to be better because you're going to be empowered by grace. I really love you guys. I want to see you walk in the grace of God because that's the power of God. That's the real gospel, the good news that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of that because that's the power of God. He said the salvation to everybody that believes it. But you got to believe it. 
And one way you exhibit belief is you say it out of your mouth. Okay? So, Father, we love you, and we're loved by you, and we're amazed by that love. Father, we pray that you would help us by the power of your Spirit to always remember what you've done for us. And let our confession be in agreement with what you say and what your word says in regard to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We love you.